I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week's guest comes to us from the UK, from across the pond. Fabian Spies is with Minerva Virtual Academy, an online learning environment that is based in the UK, but open to students around the world and certainly appropriate for those of you in the US and elsewhere. So I'm super excited for you to hear from Fabian about his experience growing up as an athlete and also what Minerva has to offer, how it's different from other virtual or online schools that you may have heard of and why you should give it a closer look. Before I bring Fabian on, a quick reminder that if you haven't already, we would love to have you join us as a premium member of Parenting Aces. Just go to parentingaces.com, click on the join link, and you will get a a link to go to the pages that you need to sign up and take advantage of all that we have to offer, including our one-on-one consulting sessions. So now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Fabian Spies. Fabian, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. It is a pleasure to have you from across the pond and with Wimbledon going on right now, um, kind of apropos that we're speaking this week. Yeah, hi Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real, uh, real pleasure. And um, yeah, obviously with Wimbledon going on at the moment, it's it's absolutely the right time. I think to have this conversation. I've been following it really closely. And uh, oh my god, I love Wimbledon. It's so good, isn't it? It's so good, and I I am dying to come in person. I have not yet made the trip, but it oh. is definitely on my bucket list and something I hope to tick off very soon. But I have to just mention, because as we were getting ready to record this morning, Chris Eubanks beat Steph Sitsipas to earn a spot in the quarterfinals. So go U.S. tennis, go U.S. college tennis, and congratulations to Chris and his team. Um, You and I were just chatting about Chris's kind of journey and Oh, it's very exciting to see somebody that I've known for a long time and such a nice guy uh, make it to the quarters. So I just had to throw that in. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's fantastic. And I have to say, if you do go to Wimbledon, you have to absolutely do the queue as well. I've done that and it's absolutely brilliant. I think we were there by 7 a.m. And yeah, it was it was great. My grandma's always she's a massive tennis fan and um, she always wanted to go. So we applied for the ballot and she got I think it was center court tickets. She always wanted to see Rafa Nadal. She hasn't got there yet. So that's still on her bucket list as well. So it's one. (laughs) Okay, your grandma and I would be really good friends because he's my favorite, too. So, um, yeah, big fan, big fan. Um, So enough of that. (laughs) Let's jump into (laughs) Minerva Virtual Academy. I want to really give you the opportunity to share with us what it is you're doing in the UK. But before we get to that, you grew up as an athlete yourself, not a tennis player, um, a football slash U.S. listeners, a soccer player. And I would love for you to share with us a little bit of that journey, how you got started in sport and how far you took your soccer career and what led you to where you are today. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I, as a young young child, really lived around the world quite extensively. So I was actually born in Germany, but uh, very young. I moved to um, Dubai with my family and uh, after that to Spain. And I sort of found that football was a great way of building new relationships and new friendships, especially when you're always changing schools and trying to meet new people. I sort of used football uh, or soccer, as, as you call it, uh, as a way to integrate in, in new countries and meet uh, other people and found it really great for that. And um, at one point, actually was really good at it as well. So my career sort of took off a little bit. I played in the youth leagues um, in Spain and we then moved to the UK when I was around 14 years um 14 years old 15 years old and i signed what we call an apprenticeship uh, agreement which is in the uk we have uh, a certain pathway when you turn 16 where you become a apprentice footballer or soccer player at a club and you do your education at the same time so you're almost training uh in what you would call a professional environment whilst you're still uh, continuing with it, with your education um, so on the back of that, I was able to secure a professional contract. I played in the, the third division in the UK um, for three years. And after that, unfortunately, found my career sort of going the opposite way. And I played in semi-professional football for a number of years until I eventually had quite a bad shoulder injury. I um, um, I say my C joints and my shoulder sort of ruptured, so I had to have surgery. And that was then quite, quite difficult. And I got to a point where I sort of, thought I had to make a decision whether I continue playing semi-professionally or I focus my career outside of sport and um, I decided to do the latter and actually we can dive into these experiences a little bit more in the podcast obviously but um, I had some quite difficult periods playing and I decided to to focus my energy on trying to support the younger generation of athletes uh, who are coming through the system, not just in, in football or soccer, but in all different sports and using my experiences that I learned from my time as a young footballer to try and help them navigate the pathway and, and make sure that they don't make the mistakes I do or I did at the time. And that's sort of how I find myself also working in, in online education now and supporting young young athletes specifically with their, with their careers. Let's dive into that. I, I'm I'm very curious about what sort of your roadblocks were, um, what age you were when you hit those various roadblocks, and then what you did to kind of get over the hump and move on to the next step. Yeah. So when I was playing, so we're talking around uh, over ten years ago now, more or less. So that's when I was coming through through the youth system and. Uh, at one point, I was really at the top of my game. I felt really invincible. Um, you know, I would go out on the pitch full of confidence. You know, no one would would score, uh, or sometimes they would score, but I was just really, you know, you felt invincible. You know, you know that feeling. Um, and it was really a, a managerial change. Obviously, this is not so relevant in tennis because you maybe in the sense that you change your coach. Mm. Um, but we experienced a managerial change, and I just didn't have that click with a manager I was at a point in my career where I had been sort of second choice um, under an international goalkeeper so as a young goalkeeper it was quite quite challenging to get into the team and I saw this as an opportunity to actually we've just had a managerial change this is a, a fresh canvas basically for me to go and show him what I can do and 
unfortunately that led to me putting so much pressure on myself that it actually had the opposite effect where I was then going onto the pitch feeling like I had to prove a point um, to the manager and it led to real nerves anxiety and as a goalkeeper it's it's a quite a slippery slope in that it's you're the last line of defense if you make a mistake it costs the team dearly so if you make a mistake that then really hits your confidence and it can escalate quite quickly and that's what I found happened to me at, at that point and I always link that experience to a time in my life and my career where I was so football focused and I didn't really have many hobbies outside of um, outside of football that could take my mind off those sort of pressures that I was putting myself on the pitch. So it becomes a all encompassing 24 seven environment where you're either thinking about your last game, you're thinking about your next training session or the next game. Um, and that's a very tricky and difficult place to be, I think in a very dangerous place to be. And that's why I always when I speak to young athletes in general, I'm a big advocate of this, is make sure that you always have either something that is supporting you on the pitch, um, whether that's education, hobbies, you know, friendships, other relationships who are not just talking to you about your career as well, someone who can take your mind off these things. I think that's so important. And at the time, I didn't really have that nor was really sports psychology a thing at the time. You know, maybe in America it was a little bit more advanced in the U.S. college system, but in, in third division football in the U.K., um, it was no one is really. You, if you went to speak to a sports psychologist, there was something very wrong with you, basically. So it was something that, you know, wasn't really ever discussed at the time. And I never had anyone come to me and say, you know, what's what's happened? You know, your performances have gone from being absolutely brilliant to now you're really struggling even to to catch a ball. And that that wasn't there at the time, unfortunately. And that sort of led to me being released from the club. I went, made the wrong decision in going to another club, unfortunately, where it just wasn't the right environment for me and the club wasn't in a good situation either. Um, and that sort of escalated a little bit. And um, there were also times there where I sort of reluctantly, my parents had always, or, or my parents had always said, you know, you need to make sure that you are, you know, having a hobby, doing some education, do a degree whilst you're playing. You never know, your career might end at any point. And I was always of the mindset, no, I need to focus on my football. This is what everyone is telling me. The coaches are, in, uh, are saying that. I have to do this that way and um, unfortunately that was completely the wrong mindset and as now there is some research out there as well which sort of promotes that education is something or a dual career as they call it you know actually helps you perform on the pitch by doing exactly what I mentioned earlier in terms of releasing pressure distracting you uh, of things that are happening on the field or on the court um, and just yeah complete release of, of pressure. How old were you when you committed 100% to football as opposed to maybe dabbling in other sports and other activities? Um, so I've always been quite intense on football. I used to play a bit of tennis when I was younger, but I would say probably the age of around 14 is when I really committed to, mm -hmm. uh, to football fully. Prior to that, I was still playing, but it wasn't in the same environment as when sure. I turned 16 and went into a professional environment. And even at 16, I was still doing my education because it's part of the program. It was only when I turned 18 where you then pass doing your uh, high school education, so to speak, where you can then say, actually, I'm not doing anything else. I'm focusing on the football. And that's 
the wrong mindset and where I'm a big advocate of the US college system because in order to go pro, you actually have to go through the university system as well to go mostly into into those sort of uh, professional environments. So um, in the UK and in Europe, it's it's very much the opposite of that in that you don't have to go um, down that university route. And actually, you know, the university route in, in Europe and the UK is not something that would get you into a professional sporting environment usually. Right. And and I mean, we've heard that multiple times from a variety of folks around the world that, well, in tennis, it's not a requirement, but in many other sports in the U.S. especially, it is a requirement to go through the college system in order to turn professional. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of those things that there are players whatever sport it is, that need that additional time to mature physically, to mature mentally, emotionally. And also, as you're saying, to have that kind of, you know, side hustle of of pursuing education to keep their mind more balanced so that they don't go down the rabbit hole that that you found yourself in and that many players of all sports find themselves in where that pressure is just building, building, building constantly and there's no release for it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I were to look back and the things I know now, I'm 29 years old now, that you know, if I had applied some of those things when I was 18, 19, wow, it would have been possibly a very different story. And um, it's quite interesting because obviously I speak to a lot of younger athletes now and um, there's a lot of differences in the sports as well. I, I find that very interesting in that when I speak to the young tennis players at, at the school, for example, they are mostly very set on their education, whereas other sports are a little bit more like, mm, I'm not so sure, I just do this because I have to. So you see, you come across different personalities and, and, and different identities in the different sports. Obviously, there's always, you know, the odd one out, so to speak. But um, in football, it's very much a mindset that, you know, you have to focus on your football career. Education is just something that is, is you know, is not really going to help you. It's changing a little bit now, but it's still not quite there where I think sports like tennis are, for example. And mm. I have heard quite extensively, you can probably tell me better than anyone, uh, Lisa, but that a lot of, you know, young players actually also drop out of education at 16 because it just doesn't become, it's not manageable for them or they think it's not manageable and they, they have that mindset. Actually, let's focus um, on, on tennis alone and see where that takes me. Um I have seen or I've, I have heard that more than seen it um, in the world of tennis as well. Well, I think that's why we've seen the prevalence of virtual schooling, right, is um, especially in the U.S., the way our junior competitive structure is set up. There are tournaments that will start on a Friday and run, you know, end on a Monday or there are tournaments that start on a Sunday and run you know, through the following Sunday. So if you're in traditional school, you're having to miss school, which leads to either getting punished by the school and in terms of not being allowed to make up work and tests and things like that, or even, well, I don't know if it's worse, but equally bad, the parents having to actually lie to the school and Mm -hmm. the child is sick, you know, over and over and over again. And that's why they're missing school, because that's the only way they're allowed to then make up the work. And it's it's not a good situation. But, 
you know, I've shared lots of times the way my family dealt with it with, with my son who played tennis was we went to the school board and appealed to them to let my son do kind of a combination of taking some classes online and compressing his school day and starting an hour earlier than everybody else and not having a lunch and not having a study hall and just kind of pushing straight through from seven to noon. And then he was able to be on the tennis court by 12 31 o'clock every day. And it gave him ample time um, though it was still an issue when he was still in the tournament at the end of the the draw, you know, so it's tough, but, but this is a great segue to kind of talk about Minerva, what Minerva is, why you started it and, and why you're involved in this program, why you feel it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think like you say, it's, we had so many conversations with parents where, you know, they do come to us and they say that, um, it, it's just not a manageable process to go to a, a, a traditional school anymore. Um, and as you say, that's probably tennis is probably the most prevalent sport where um, it sounds like in the US it's very similar to in Europe. But you have the Tennis Europe Junior Tour and, you know, the students or the, or the children are traveling to, you know, countries overseas uh, with flights. And it's it's taking at times you don't know it could take a whole week out of your your schedule or it could be uh two days it depends on how long you last in the tournament and the unpredictability of it is also a a big challenge so and a stressor i mean this is you know you're talking about managing stress and pressure this is an additional piece of that right is you know how long am i going to be in the tournament how much school am i missing how much is it going to cost my family to be here et cetera, et cetera. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just, I wanted to throw that out. No, absolutely. And um, I mean, some of the, the the children and families that come to us, they attend private schools and, you know, some are more supporting or supportive than others. It depends sometimes on the type of school, uh, but we have in some cases heard that parent at the start, the school is very supportive and then it gets to the crunch of it. And actually they're not supportive at all when it comes further down the line. So you have different experiences, um, but in terms of Minerva's Virtual Academy, um, our founder Hugh um, founded Minerva Tutors in 2014, which was a, a homeschooling and tutoring company. So we provide additional uh, support for young students um, in, in the UK, in Europe and around the world um, for additional support in maths, maybe, or English or science, um, but also complete homeschooling packages and programs so students that didn't want to learn uh, at a physical school um, and parents actually were advocates of homeschooling we provided the the full um, program and curriculum for them to be able to study um, from home and in some cases we found that those were athletes Um, now when COVID hit uh, obviously everything went to uh, remote education Uh, some people had Good experiences with it. Some people had very bad experiences because schools were not set up um, for the speed at which COVID came in and to all of a sudden be able to deliver education remotely. So um, Hugh, our CEO, decided to, well, why don't we create something that's a little bit more in, in the middle? Because homeschooling can be quite an expensive service if, you know, it's one to one and there's you know so many hours that you need to do in terms of teaching. That can be quite costly. So. Hugh decided to do something in the middle. Uh, and obviously some online schools already existed at this point, I think in the US, 
probably more um, known than in, in Europe and the UK. I think before COVID, no one had ever heard really of, of online education in Europe. It's, it's, really? <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, honestly, and I think it, at university level, yes, absolutely, that was quite common, and I did both my degrees uh, online, but certainly for anything in high school and the lower age groups, um, it wasn't ever really a, a thing, um, to be honest. So Hugh decided to to create a, an online school, which is an affordable medium, basically, between homeschooling and just the normal tutoring here and there. Um, so the school was founded about two two years ago, Two and a half years ago, um, I came on board in, um, what is it now, a year and a half. God, time flies. Um, and basically, you know, my role was was to expand a little bit what we do in, in the world of sport and for people to just learn about uh, online schooling and how that can support athletes. We'd for a long time heard that young athletes um, experience troubles and difficulties managing their education but there's never really been a solution for that or anyone who sort of came come forward and said, you know, this is something that could maybe help you uh, with that. We do have a uh, accreditation, which is called TAS in, in the UK. And that basically is a talented athlete scholarship scheme, which is a commitment of a, of a college really. So 16 to 18 to say that we are going to be flexible with deadlines and, and your homework or assignments and give you leave if you need to go to a tournament but that's the only thing that's really existed. And there's there's not, you know, there's may, maybe 30 or 40 colleges signed up to that, if that in the whole of the UK. So um, that creates quite a big, uh, a, a big issue and a big void. So um, when I came on board, my goal was obviously, right, first and foremost, what sports is this uh, needed the most? And it quite quickly became apparent that actually tennis is, it very much needs needs virtual schooling for for the majority of, of young players. Um, I was quite fascinated when I found out that at 12, 13 years old already, the young players are, you know, traveling to Europe for maybe 10, 15 tournaments uh, in the year. And that just the traditional school model is is not suitable for them. So we worked on on, on building relationships in, in the world of sport and um, tennis and motorsport are actually still the most popular sports and where we have most of our students learning with us so we created a um a relationship with tennis europe who organize i think it's around four to five hundred events in europe um from under 12s up to under 16s um and basically that just allowed us to go in and meet parents and say look we we, we are here we exist um and this is how we we can support you um, and in tennis, it was quite a, a little bit of an easier message because actually parents had already maybe known a little bit through the U.S. system that, you know, some kids in the U.S. or maybe or some players in the U.S. were going towards um, online and, and virtual learning, but it hadn't ever really become a thing here. So we'd started those conversations and um we, we're now at a place where I think we'll have hopefully over 80 athletes come with um, come September starting, yeah, September 2023. Wow, that's amazing. That's really amazing. And so Minerva is open to students ages? What? 11 to 18. Okay. Uh, we've just started our middle school, which is for year seven and eight. So that's about 11 and, and 12-year-olds to 13 mm-hmm. approximately. Um, and then we have our sort of uh, senior school 
as well and our, and our sixth form so that's sort of in the UK or in, in Europe the curriculum that we offer is the international uh, GCSE is an international A-level so it's actually quite a widely a global acknowledged uh, curriculum even though it's it, we say it's UK but a lot, most of the international schools around the world either offer the American system, the, the IGCSE and, and the A-level curriculum or the international baccalaureate curriculum so it's really a mixture of those three uh, and we offer the yeah international IGCSEs and the A-levels. And is it accredited by the NCAA so can your students then come to the U.S. and attend college and play tennis that way? Correct yeah so we are only our year 13 which is the last year of high school in, in uh, according to our curriculum um, we're launching that this year for the first time so um after that, that's when we'll see a lot of the students going towards America. Most of the tennis players have that in mind um, when we, when I speak to them um, initially when they join the school and throughout their time at the school as well. That's most of the goal uh, or mostly their goal is to go to to the US. Um, and absolutely, the um, you know the international GCSEs and A levels are accredited by by the US colleges and in fact the because of the level of education is you could say a little bit higher I think in the US it only goes to year 12 if I'm not right. mistaken yep. whereas we go to year 13 so some of the credits from the A levels actually already count towards college credits uh, which means they have to take some I think less lessons once starting at university which can also be a, a good thing in terms of transition and integrating yeah. into the system in the first year if you have a few less um a few less lessons obviously it's a big shock to the system um i know that in america coaches are very big on on athletes being athletes and uh, i think for some it can be maybe a bit of a shock to the system in terms of the intensity of the training once you go yeah. to an american university so taking a few less lessons <laughs> is probably a good thing in the first year yeah for sure so walk us through what i would say a typical day but i think it'd be more helpful to hear what a typical week would look like during your academic yeah. year absolutely so in terms of a, as an online school um goes we have some competitors um but our we're very much focused on pastoral well-being of the students as well um what do you mean by that so Compared to some other online schools, you might have very big lessons. Um, could be a hundred, could be two hundred students, could be up to a thousand in a lecture-based room learning a, a, a math, for example. Our um, lessons are maximum size of twenty, um, and each student has a mentor as well. So, if I just describe the four key pillars of the school, we have uh, live lessons, which are held with uh, with teachers, basically in a small Google Classroom environment where it's uh, basically an engaging lesson um, with other students. So those happen at um, maybe two to three hours of live lessons uh, per day, depending on the year group of the student and, and the subject that they're studying. At a physical school in Europe, you would probably be there seven hours in the right. day. You would be at a, a, all day from nine o'clock to about three o'clock. So our model is called flip learning. Um, where it's just a reduced number of hours uh, in the classroom because we then also have a virtual learning platform which is a second pillar of the school and the virtual learning platform is completely flexible and it's where the students do um, the self-study element of, of their work so if a tennis player for example is at a at a tournament 
um, they might not be able to attend the live lessons, but they do have uh, access to the recording anyways, mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge bonus for them. But the other element of the learning is what happens on the virtual learning platform, which they can always do at any time, any point in time throughout the week. So they can, they're really in control of their own schedule. Um, and obviously, each player might have a different schedule in terms of they train at this hour of the day or, or, or this point. Um, but they can always work around that with access to the recordings and the, and the virtual learning platform. In terms of pastoral care, what I mean by that, so every student actually has a mentor who they meet for 30 minutes every week. Mm-hmm. And basically that mentor goes through um, the academic progress of the student. So it's a, a really good mechanism of support. It's usually either a teacher uh, or someone with an academic background who will go through the student's progress in that week. Have you completed your um, you know, your self-study element? How are you doing in your quizzes? Have you completed your assignments? All that kind of stuff. And look at giving them some feedback as well. But the other element of a mentoring session is actually the pastoral care of the student and making sure that they're, they're feeling well, that they're not stressed because they have a tournament and they haven't submitted last week's homework, for example. So a mentor is there to reassure that student as well, to support them in, in many different ways. Also, for example, looking at career avenues and pathways. Um, you know, what are your interests? What would you like to study at university level? How can we get you there? How, we, how can we complete the, you know, the personal statements that you need to um, submit for, for university, for example? So that really is the role of a mentor. It's, it's, um, it can be huge and each student is slightly different. I've mentored a, a student this year, for example, he joined us really late and he came from a homeschooling background. Um, so he hadn't covered the previous curriculum um, that we'd done throughout the year. So with him, it was looking at how can we put in a strategy that works around your tennis schedule where you can still catch up with what's been delivered already in the year um, so that come next year, which is two very important years, year 10 and year 11 in the UK, you have everything that you need to not fall further behind um, and actually that you can hit the ground running and make good progress um, throughout the year. So we looked at uh, how to manage a schedule and, and catch up work and those sort of um sort of things and then the other thing that we're very passionate about as well is the community aspect of the school so um, we have year group assemblies we have entire school assemblies um, with all virtual right all virtual yeah, yeah all virtual so we talk about very important uh, topics it could be something environmental it could be something that's been in the news that week it could be a particular uh, week it might be mental health week for example um, so it could be anything that they discuss in the assemblies We have um, well-being sessions as well that are put on for the students to come in where we talk about the importance of, um, you know, mindfulness, physical activity, nutrition, those sort of things. Something usually the athletes are quite familiar with already, but again, important things to hone in. Um, And then we have after school clubs where students can can get together. We have a young entrepreneurs club, photography, film production, different things. Again, I think this year we'll be running a chess club. So, again, interesting aspects and, and things for the students to, to get involved with. We have social rooms. Um, we have in-person trips as well at the school. Um, so despite being an online school, we do hold every term. So every three months, about two to three in-person trips where the students actually get together, okay. which is uh, really, really cool for them because they've obviously it's like when you go to start a new job and you've only met someone virtually and you go into the office for the first time. 
really nice thing. So I've been on, on, on a school trip as well. And it's, it's really, really brilliant how the students actually, despite sometimes having not met before, um, actually how well they get on and, and, you know, just sort of build those relationships. And then Sol and I, we also uh, run what we call a high performance club, basically. So this is what's very specific to the young athletes um, where Sol and I have been professional athletes. We have been through, as I said at the start, our highs and lows. So we talk to them about the importance of performing under pressure, well-being, you know, the importance of education, um, time management, really important topics that are important to them and, and you know, maybe as a young athlete, you don't quite know that so much and realize, but certainly along the way, something that hopefully they take a lot of um, insight and, and tips from us. You know, we're not experts, but we do also bring in, for example, guest speakers. So we previously had a, a performance psychologist come in and deliver a workshop about normalizing um, the vocabulary and challenges. So um, just normalizing the fact that in your career as a tennis player, you will experience up and downs so that when you actually hit a real low, you know, you almost knew that was coming at some point and it doesn't hit you as hard as whether you were, you know, if you're on cloud nine and just, oh, this is, like I said at the start, I think, you know, you're feeling invincible and, and no one can beat you. If you have that mindset and you all of a sudden hit low, it really hits you hard. So just normalizing um, those aspects around challenges in your career as a young athlete. And we also had another guest speaker come in who um, works extensively with Formula One drivers. So uh, he did a really cool workshop, again, on performance environments and, you know, tracking your sleep. And for example, if you're traveling over to uh, Australia or other countries, you know, how does, are you managing the, the jet lag, for example? Are you are you managing that? And, you know, they have tables for all those things to say, right, this is the time you need to get into bed now, because obviously um, this is the time difference. And those are not necessarily things that we always, always think about, um, but are certainly quite important for, for achieving high performance. So those are two guest speakers we had in today. Next year, I'm looking at bringing in a former Olympic athlete as well to do a workshop just some really cool guest speakers coming in and, uh, you know, the athletes can benefit from that. It's basically a little bit, so to say, my baby, because I want the students to benefit and have get as much value out of knowledge from other people um, who can help them along with their with their careers. And um, I think it, I think it's important. Yeah, I love that, Fabian. I think that's such a good idea. And, you know, anytime somebody who's been there done that can speak to those who are just coming up. I think it's so beneficial. But I, yeah. I want to point out that Minerva isn't just for athletes, right? This is a virtual school that's open to any student that wants this type of academic experience. You have specific people dedicated to working with athletes in specific sports but for those families who are maybe looking for an educational experience for their children who aren't athletes, as well as their children who are, they could all benefit for, from Minerva and it would accommodate all their needs, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think it's important that our athletes are also in lessons with other non-athlete students. Uh, otherwise, it can become quite an all-encompassing or just mm-hmm. sports environment, which I think there's great value in, you know, we have different sports as well. We have tennis players, go-karters, Formula 4 drivers, skiers, golfers, 
they can all learn from the different sports from each other but it's also important that they have relationships with other students who are not uh, in a sporting environment and you can talk about something different other than sports otherwise as i said at the start it just becomes very all-encompassing in the 24 7 sport environment which you don't necessarily want um so yeah we from hopefully by the end of the year we're looking at having around 500 students at the school um from around 40 different countries around the world so wow. um at the moment um a couple are based in america mainly because of the time difference in terms of when our live lessons um i think it's around 60 65 percent are based in the uk and the other are based others are based in uh, countries around uh, europe so a real international school so to speak um and, and again it's really really cool and what we found with virtual learning as well is that you know, a lot of parents and families come to us saying actually my my child learned a lot better during covid they they didn't have the distraction of perhaps the classroom or perhaps they have uh, a special educational need where they don't feel so comfortable in in full classroom environment so there's a lot of different reasons why um students and families come come to us um in that sense some families for example want to travel around the world you know we've had some families hire boats and say right my child's coming with us and we're going to travel around the world and they're doing the school whilst they're they're on the boat and we're exploring so can they adopt so, me can i be part of that <laughs> i want to do too, that yeah, <laughs> that's so brilliant so it, it just opens so many different doors and we've we've never ever said that virtual learning is is for everyone because right. some students really need that you know that personal um, interaction in terms of being with their friends uh, at school in person every day but for certain circumstances such as the athletes or certain students as I mentioned it just works much much better than the traditional school model which has been there for so so many years and hasn't really changed in in that period of time so yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that, that you talked about when you were talking about what the program looks like um, that really jumped out at me just based on my son's virtual learning experience in middle school is that accountability factor. The fact that they have that one-on-one -on -one meeting with their mentor during the week that holds the student accountable for turning in the work, for meeting the deadlines, for attending the classes, you know, I think is really crucial. And, and it's a piece that's missing from a lot of virtual learning environments. And um, so kudos to you guys for recognizing the need for that and implementing a system to make sure that these kids are getting the work done. Because one of the things that I've heard over and over again from American kids who have gone through homeschooling or virtual schooling is, you know, they find themselves at age 17 or even 18, they're so far behind and they want to go on to play in college, but they mm -hmm. haven't been able to meet the requirements necessary to be eligible to play college tennis because no one has held them accountable for meeting these deadlines. So I think that's yeah. a huge piece of the pie. Yeah, I think compared to some of our competitors, um, you know, I was listening today in one of our meetings and one of our competitors has around 6,000 students, um, whereas we are 500. So, our, you know, it's still a, a small community and it's very manageable and we will never lose, we never want to lose that aspect of, you know, pastoral right. well-being and one-to-one -one mentoring for the student because it's so important for our program. And I think 
for 14, 15, 16 year olds to say you have to have all the skills in terms of time management, discipline, everything like that is, is unrealistic. You can't expect to have it all from them. And ultimately what can happen is, you know, for parents sending their, their children to an online school where there isn't that one-to-one aspect in that mentoring is basically that, you know, they just they just get lost and they don't know what what yeah. to do anymore. And then it's a slippery slope. And ultimately the parents are the ones having to check in on them, which is then an additional workload because they're having to say, have you done this work? Have you done this? Whereas with us, for example, the parents receive a report every two weeks as well. So parents are kept informed at all times what's happening. If a student is still, despite the mentoring, not completing any work, then that is obviously escalated to the parents within a very short period of time. And we have faculty at the school where we have a deputy head, a deputy head pastoral, who are there to monitor these things ahead of the academic year. They can ensure that the student doesn't go to that point where then it's uh, insolvable, basically, and they, they can't be helped anymore because they're that far behind. So um, it's something that separates us apart, and we're very proud of that as well, and we think it's important. The the athletes at the school as well, specifically, they have myself and my colleague Sol as, as mentors as well. So we will meet them from a sports sporting point of view around every term. And, um, you know, we're always available by email anyway, so they can just email us if they want anything. But um, Do we're always email? there. I don't think kids email anymore. <laughs> but, well, this is, a, this is the next thing. We've created an Instagram account now, uh, which is basically also celebrating the successes of our athletes. Yeah. Um, but you'll find it so much easier to communicate and, and, and speak to them that way as well. So uh, we sort of implemented that a little bit. So and I to just say congratulations, well done on this tournament or celebrating. And, and yeah, it, it is easier, but they, you know, it's important that they use email as well because it's still part of the, how the teachers get in touch with them. And um, but yeah, yeah, I was I just kidding, it. sort of, but not really. <laughs> But no, not really. As you say, yeah, it's changing. Yeah. It's certainly changing. It will yeah. be will be different in a probably in two three years time. We probably won't be using email anymore. Are you on Threads yet? Have you started no, your Threads account? I have no of Threads to be honest, Lisa. Oh, <laughs> see, that's that's that is Zuckerberg's new platform to compete with Twitter. So ah, yes, actually, my I think my wife mentioned it the other day. Yeah. Yes. Yes, she did say, but yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm a bit behind already and I'm only, I'm only 29 so it's not a really good sign <laughs> yeah it's tough it's tough um for our listeners who are interested in the kind of down and dirty details of Minerva Virtual Academy Fabian mm-hmm. can you talk about the price of for the academic year um is it a one-year commitment how does that piece work yeah sure so um Parents really, our students can join us at mostly at any point uh, in the year. Obviously, the academic year is the best point to start, which would be September, um, just because, especially also when changing curriculums, we have you know families joining from different curriculums. We have to make sure that they're getting the full um, experience, and obviously they can join at later points in the year and catch up, but that's not an ideal situation especially in year 11 and and in the UK, the year 10 and year 11 are sort of joint courses almost as well as year 12 and 13. For So for someone to join halfway through can be very tricky. Um, but in terms of the yearly cost, um, it's currently 6,950 per year pounds um, to join. Um, you can pay annually. If you decide to pay termly, it's 2,650 uh, per term. 
and um, I'm trying to. And that's think. pounds. Let me just clarify. That's British pounds. Correct. So yeah, yes. Pounds. Okay. So I don't know what the exchange rate is at the moment, but uh, probably about maybe eight thousand dollars US dollars for, okay. for for the year. Um, and they receive yeah pretty much what I've what I've mentioned um, mentioned throughout. Um, I'm just trying to think. If, you guys yeah. do you have information sessions that people can sign up for as well, right? Before committing to join the program. Correct. Yes. So uh, the usual process would be that a family would book a discovery call um, with our admissions team. And, and usually if I know that they're, they're an athlete and they come from a sporting background, I will join on that as well. So that's if they visit our website, www.minervavirtual.com, they can book a discovery call very easily. Um, and then our, our admissions team basically talks uh, family through um, everything, how it works, the costs. We can usually create a trial uh, login as well for the virtual learning platform. So even before committing, families can um, see and the students can have a look what it's like, see if it's for them. Um, once a student has joined, um, basically, it's we have a grace period as well of six weeks. So if someone joins us and within six weeks, parents say, actually, this is not for them or they don't want to do this anymore, then they can leave and the rest of the amount would be refunded minus those six weeks, which is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're also um, holding basically a open event for athletes specifically. I don't know how quickly this will air, Lisa, but um, next quickly. Monday we're holding one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. it's airing this week. So, yes, this will okay. this will be timely. Fantastic. So on the 17th on the Monday at uh, 12 p.m. GMT, which is maybe to US time zone a little bit really early but we can record that session as well and uh we'll be holding another one in august so i'll i'll bear that in mind as well that maybe we can do a, a more of an evening or an afternoon one so if there are any u.s families who would like to join it's obviously at a more convenient time uh for them but i can send you the link for that as well yeah. it's on the website um under open events under admissions i think so um parents can can join onto that as well Awesome. And we'll have the links to all of that in the show notes on parentingaces.com. Um, I, I just, I, I think this is so interesting. Are there, are there admission requirements, specific, you know, academic admission requirements, such as for kids that are applying to U.S. universities? Or is it basically, you know, if you want to do this and you can pay, then you're admitted into the program? Yeah, so it, 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 no, it's not really like that because as a school, it's still important that, you know, uh, that we set the students up to do well, mm -hmm. so to speak. So we will look at previous report cards. We will look at the system, uh, the academic system that they've come through previously and just make sure that if they're going to, for example, year nine or year 10 with us, that that student has that ability to go into that year group. Otherwise, we will make sure that we say to the family, we don't advise this. This is probably going to be a little bit too difficult for the student, especially let's just say that they're also a tennis player. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't think that's the right thing to do. So we very much do have um, restrictions is the wrong word, but some you know requirements and things that we will look at beforehand before admitting a student. Um, for the sort of last two years of high school, year 12 and year 13, we usually ask that the student has at least a grade six. Um, so in, the, in our system, it's from one to nine, nine being the highest, uh, four being a pass so that they have uh, a, a grade six to be able to go onto that 
that course in a subject that they've studied or, or a similar subject that they've studied previously in GCSE or in their, um, their curriculum. Is there an interview process as well, or is, is the application process all just forms filled out online? Yeah, it's usually forms. We do have a, a baseline test, which is not something the student usually has to study for, but it's just, again, to give us an idea in terms of their current level. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do as well, and we have at the school in our live lessons, we have different sets. So uh, some sets are for the more able students in that year group, some sets are for those who need a little bit more support. Um, so based on those baseline tests, their grades will make sure to try and put that student into into the correct um, set as well in that year group. Um, but yeah, usually it's done through through well the, the report card, speaking to the family, um, and understanding the, the student's history. But there's no real interview process behind it. Got it. Anything I've forgotten to ask you that we need to discuss? Uh, trying to think. No, I, I don't think so. I think we've covered uh, most of it. Um, we obviously, yeah, we mentioned that we'll have around 80 athletes at the school and it's a really nice community. So what we found so far is that for the tennis players who are with us, um, it's it's working really, really well and they're enjoying it as, as well. And, you know, as a school, as I said, our commitment is to be flexible with the students. So if they're not able to attend live lessons because of a tournament um we still ask that they let us know and notify us that they won't be there um but obviously still ask them to watch the recordings and and we keep keep that process very much uh, you know under review all the time to ensure that and we don't have students who are attending zero percent of the lessons um it's it's important and that's obviously what the mentor is there for as well but i think we've i think we've covered everything lisa obviously if anyone has any questions or has listened to the to the podcast and, and wants wants to learn more or has anything specifically i'll pass on my email address and they can email me email me as well perfect and again that will be in the show notes on parentingaces.com fabian one last thing i did think of before i let you go because we are nearing the end of our hour is um you mentioned that a lot of your students are are playing their sport with the idea of coming to the states and and playing in college do you guys provide recruiting assistance do you work with any um kind of advisors that that mm-hmm. help the students find their place in the American colleges? Yeah, so the answer is no, uh, in that we don't work with anyone directly, primarily because I haven't yet found the best organization to work with. Um, so if you know anyone who is very trustworthy and you know will provide a great service uh, on, on US college recruiting, then by all means, um, please pass on the details. But Yeah, we'll um, discuss that offline when we're done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But obviously my colleague Sol, he played um, US uh, college basketball. So we have experience in the, in the process. Um, the main factor is always understanding the academic timeline of the student is obviously very important and the yeah. core core courses that they meet that um, those requirements through the NCAA. So that's a process that has to start quite early once they once yes. they join us already. Um, but we would like to work with someone who is a, a, an expert basically in that field because it's <laughs> you'll probably know it's a bit of a minefield and especially yeah. for overseas students. Um, where it's a different curriculum and a different educational system, it can sometimes become a little bit more complex than than you would like. So, um, yeah, we 
we can help and we provide support and, and personal advice but in terms of working with someone we're still looking at uh, trying to find the right company to to fit in uh, with us perfect perfect well well I've got some names to share with you so <laughs> wonderful <laughs> all right Fabian Spies I have taken enough of your time thank you so much for chatting with us for sharing Minerva Virtual Academy with our audience and for taking the time to share your story as well, because even though your story is football related, it is youth athlete related. And I think, as you said many times, there are a lot of crossovers between sports. And it's good, I think, to be reminded that we're not so special in the tennis world. We are all part of the youth sports movement and uh, we all need to work together to support our athletes and help them have the best experience. And more importantly, to ensure that we as parents maintain that positive relationship with our children as they go through this and having a great academic option is one piece of that puzzle. So um, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Lisa. I think um, just to add to what you said there, I think it's so important that we maintain a, a real holistic identity around who we are as people and, and not just athletes as well for uh, for tennis players or whatever sport you're competing in. You're always a person first and foremost, and sometimes that does get lost. We could probably do another whole podcast on, on, on something around that. Um, but it's, it's what Sol and I, we're big advocates of that, and, and we think it's so important that, um, at MBA that you know despite these these young students being athletes as well and you know perhaps they'll go on to play professional or college whatever that they you know they're rounded individuals as well in, in other aspects of their life and that they attain the skills that they need um, from a from a good education and um, that's that's really so important so um, yeah thank you for for letting me share my story telling you know, telling everyone about Minerva and uh, what we do. And um, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you to my audience. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.